Coming up, why no job, and I mean no job, is safe. And then will non-compete agreements be canceled? Oh, baby, this is coming to a boil. I'll break it down next. Let's go. Helping you get out of the matrix that says you got to work a safe, boring job after you get your safe, boring degree. Oh, rack up some credit card and student loan debt just to make it all possible. And uh, only the few lucky souls actually enjoy getting up on Monday mornings. That's what the Matrix tells you. Well, that's just a bunch of crap. I can help you unplug. And do work that you absolutely love. Make enough money because you've got financial peace. And make the difference that you want to make. So that you get to the end of the road and you don't regret anything. You just reminisce. All right, so many people have picked a job or stayed in a job because they say, well, Ken, it's uh, it's really stable. Now, I get this a lot from people who are in government jobs, state and federal government jobs, and, and I'm not picking on them at all because they actually call and they kind of go, uh, I kind of want to get out of it, but is it stupid because I got this state job? Like, the government's never going to go broke. Those health care benefits and state pensions. Woohoo, Kent. I don't know if I should let go of those. This is the this is the argument. By the way, every one of those callers, they're getting those arguments from friends and family members who are scared spitless. And I'm just telling you, if the pandemic and all of the panic that came with it is any indicator no job is safe none of us know what tomorrow brings so it's if we could just be intellectually honest this notion that my job is safe it's stable it's really not you've been sold this message that every there are jobs out there that are good safe and stable and you can just Ride it out into the retirement sunset. And any of you have been around long enough to live life and pay attention to what's going on, you know that that is an incomplete story. We could call it a lie. So safe, stable careers aren't really as smart as they've been sold. They've been sold as, this is smart, go get a good degree so you can get a good job and just take care of yourself and those that you love. That's the smart decision. I mean, if you just look right now collectively at America, and if we were to poll the entire country and just parents, and we said, parents... Would you sleep better at night if, A, your kid was signed up to go to a good good college and that you knew they would pick a pretty good degree, or if they skipped college and got an apprenticeship or signed up for a trade school? Which would you feel that you would get the best night's sleep knowing? A, college, 
be a non-traditional route. I'm telling you right now, the majority would be a runaway for option A, college, because it just feels safe and smart. And I get it. It wasn't that long ago that I thought that in my own life, but then my own story unraveled because I went after it, baby. I got a taste of working in politics. I was in school to get a political science degree, and I got an opportunity to work on a congressional race my sophomore year. So I took a semester off with the blessing of my parents because they were like, okay, well, this makes sense. He's getting paid to work on a congressional campaign. They knew the guy that was running for Congress. It checked all the boxes for my mom and dad, and thus they didn't discourage me. Guess what happened? We got our heads kicked in, and we lost by 30 points. And I was distraught on election night and the, the days after. But after the smoke on that political battlefield cleared, even though I was hurt and destroyed emotionally as a 19-year-old, we lost this campaign, and this was going to be, because, I mean, at that point, let me tell you what's going on in my head. What was going on in my head was, if we win this thing, I'm probably not going back to school. Mr. Coleman goes to Washington. It's a movie that was never made. So that's what I thought. So I go back to school and I'm rotting in the classroom because I had tasted the battle. So I now started to create a different path and I got back into it and thus I don't have a college degree. So for me, I never pursued safe and smart. So I can speak from experience. See, we shouldn't be chasing the safe, smart job. We ought to be chasing the significant contribution we want to make. So that determines the job. That determines the career path. The career is not this lane that I'm in where I'm a this for 35 years. It is my body of work. It is my journey, my story. So we should be chasing significance. Why? Let's. Can we just look at science for a second? Let's get outside of Ken... Ken Coleman's opinion, and let's just look at what meaningful, significant work means to a human in their health. Number one, there's a lower risk of heart disease and stroke in people who do work that they enjoy, that matters to them. There's a greater likelihood of a long life. I shared this data, I think, earlier this week. I shared it on my Instagram. Go check out the post at Ken Coleman. Uh, I, I cited an Illinois Wesleyan study that said that unhappy workers live on average 10 years less than people who are happy in their work. There's a higher likelihood that you'll take care of yourself because you want to stay around. You're not doing destructive things to yourself to self-medicate. People that are miserable are drinking, doing drugs, eating food to make themselves feel better. Can I just tell you, I'm an emotional eater. I have something really good happen or something bad happen. I can tell you there's a strong likelihood that ice cream or nachos are in my future. I just, I mean, I, I, boy, feel good, feel bad. I eat. So I could list study after study, after study, after study, after study, after study, that meaningful work feeling as though I'm getting up for a significant reason is good for my health. 
And the reason it's good for my health is because it's good for my head, it's good for my brain, it's good for my mental health, and all that works together. The brain, the heart, the body, it's all connected. And there's a soul that's at the center of all of this stuff we're talking about. And the soul, the spirit, longs to make a difference. And when you're not making that difference, you're dying. So choosing safe is essentially going to kill your soul, which means it's going to kill your body earlier. Folks, it's that serious. You were created to contribute. And when you aren't contributing the way you want to contribute, you're dying slowly. Folks, welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. So, I see so much stuff on social media now because it's just everywhere. And it's people talking about they've seen so much of the wrong thing that has been rewarded that they just go, well, screw the right thing. That's what I see on social media, just about how we handle ourselves professionally, uh, how we handle ourselves personally. And so this is a professional context. So there's a viral video uh, that has that is from an HR professional that has gone viral. And I'm going to show it to you, and then I'm going to react to it. But it, to set it up, it's I want you to see it, I think, from this context, that whether you agree or disagree with what she says or what I say, we've gotten to a dangerous point in America where in the world where bad people have not been punished or not faced consequences and in some cases have been rewarded so all of a sudden good people go well gee whiz if this is the way the rules are this is the way the rules are and this is the way the game is played I've been doing it the right way why would I do it the right way anymore So are we ready to roll this video? This is a TikTok that's gone viral, over 4 million views. Watch this, and then I'm going to tell you what I think. What do you think? Here are three things I would never do after working in HR for almost 10 years. Number one, do not be too personal. Sharing too much does not do you any good at any point in your career especially when you know that you're trying to move up, you're trying to establish yourself as a reputable person within a company, do not overshare. It will only come back to haunt you. Number two, you will never catch me being humble ever again. I used to think being humble was gonna get me far, people would appreciate me and say, oh, she's nice, and no. So many successful women I work with are far from humble and will literally make sure that they enter a room and their presence is felt. Never catch me being humble again. And number three, you will not catch me at company functions like happy hours, holiday parties for longer than an hour and a half. The truth is people start drinking, stuff starts happening, and I do not want to be associated. I think I need to do a part two because I have so many of these. 
<laughs> I love that last line. She's laying out those three things, and then as she lays them out, she's like, oh, I should do a part two because there's so many things that I'll never do again. And you can see the frustration on her face. All right, so first thing, because uh, I disagree with her on her last two points. I think the first point, I don't take any issue with that. I think she's right. Oversharing just gets you in trouble. Um, whether it's of a personal nature before you've developed enough connection and trust, or somebody's like, hey, man, that was too much. I, you know, I was uncomfortable there. I don't know you that well. Uh, you know, because sometimes we can do that a little bit too vulnerable sometimes, a little bit too transparent when we haven't achieved the connection and trust, the safety, if you will, for a space of that conversation, or just, you know, running your mouth and talking about what you believe politically, man, that'll get you in hot water quick. You know, that's an overshare. So I agree with it 100%. That's good discipline. Now, the second issue, I, I, I think I know what she's saying, but I'm not for sure. So I'm going to attempt to try to read into what she is really saying. She's saying, I'll never be humble again. And then she goes on to say, I always thought that being humble, being nice was going to get me ahead. And what she's, she's getting at is she's seen people who aren't very nice, who aren't kind, who aren't thoughtful, who aren't self-aware. She's seen them get ahead and many times ahead of her. And yet, while that's what she has seen, and I wouldn't deny that she's seen that, there's always other circumstances. She may have been beaten out or seen other people move up the ranks as an HR professor. She got, I would never recommend them to get promoted. And she's seen some of this happen. But that's a result of probably an unhealthy leader who values things they shouldn't value a leader who may be pressured from somewhere else. to There's so many factors going on that don't cancel out the fact that good people win in the end. But she's been burned or seen other people burned. And so she's become jaded, cynical. I understand that. Don't judge her for that. But I'd like to just give her the perspective of let's pull back here and try to look at all of the circumstances that has led to you being cynical that being humble is not a good idea. Now, let's also let's also define humble. I believe it was C.S. Lewis, if I'm wrong, uh, at least I'm attributing this quote to somebody, but I believe it was C.S. Lewis who said, and I'm paraphrasing, that humility, being humble, is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. So it doesn't mean that you're meek and walking around and just, you know, kind of afraid of your own shadow and I'm not deserving, I'm an imposter. You know, that's not humility. Humility is, instead of thinking about me in the office, I'm thinking about we. The big picture. We're always going to think about me some, but we want to be thinking about we more. That's the spirit of humility. She then goes on the site. I've seen some women come on, come in the room, and they aren't humble. And again, I think she's defining humble as quiet, uniform, don't rock the boat, tiptoe in, don't 
make a ripple. That's thinking of yourself less. I mean, excuse me, that is thinking less of yourself. And so, so, so she's seen some women walk in who she said make their presence known. That doesn't mean that they aren't humble. You can have a pretty big personality and still be humble. You can make some waves in a meeting and still be humble. It's a false narrative that humility is quiet and mousy and weak and unopinionated. That's not humility. So I take issue with that. I think humble people will win. They may not get promoted as quickly. I'll give you that. But I think they win in life and work is a component of that. You'll win if you are a humble person and seeking to be humble. Now, the last piece, I get boundaries. And if you're at a workplace where every time there's a group happy hour, it turns into some drunken gossip fest, I'm all about that boundary and say, nope, I'm not doing that. But this idea that I'll never, and she's very final here, I will never associate with coworkers. I think that's short-sighted. The data backs me up that people who develop friendships, real meaningful friendships at work, they win. They win professionally. They win personally. They're happier at work. And then, boy, that creates a whole nother series of positive circumstances. So this idea that I'm not going to associate and be friendly with my coworkers while at work and even the occasional function Now, again, I said I'm for boundaries, but this idea that I'll never fraternize, I'll never associate with people at company functions, I'm not doing it, I'm going home. I think it puts you behind. And I don't think it's healthy. Because if you're the one person that everybody always notices is never at the team function, it's not good. People start asking questions. And when they don't have answers... They fill in the blanks. This is how you can get defined and branded in a way that is not true to who you really are. Withdrawing never helps me win. Engaging always helps me win, personally and professionally. So, appreciate the comment, but hey, let's not be ruled by cynicism and negativity. That, uh, that music will give you the juice, if nothing else will. I don't know how you don't tap your toe, shake your head to that one. I will spare you all my lack of rhythmic talent. Back to the phones we go. Will is joining us in Manchester, New Hampshire. Will, you're on the Ken Coleman Show. Hey, Ken. How are you today? I'm living the dream, brother. What's going on? <laughs> um, so to give you a little background, um, I'm currently on Baby Step 2. Um, I work in a retail supervisor position. Um, I've been in retail for the past 20 years. Uh, in that time, my stance on it's kind of been up and down. Sometimes I've been really down on it. Other times I say it's not that bad. 
Um, it's never been something I wanted to do, uh, but it's just always been there as the default. It's been there as an option. Uh, up until about eight months ago, I had a clearer picture of what I wanted in life. Uh, I was in a relationship with someone for about three years. Uh, I was looking forward to you know a lot of stuff building around building around that relationship, um, but we wound up parting ways. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, thank you. Um, since then, the days have kind of been a drag. Um, work has felt meaningless. Uh, I feel withdrawn most days, and typically my favorite part of the workday is just waiting to punch out. Yeah. Um, kind of occurs to me, I really don't want to do this anymore. Right. But when it comes to figuring out what do I want, the only answer I can come up is not this. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to figure out, like, yeah. where do I go from here? Do I... Um, is it the right time to look for a job? Is it the right time to no. take a step back? It's yeah. No, it's not the right time to look for a new job yet, but that time could be quicker than you think. I think the first thing we got to do is, and I'm going to give you my Get Clear assessment plus my book From Paycheck to Purpose as my gift, okay? Thank and you. I want you to take the Get Clear assessment, and I want you to mm-hmm. read the book, okay? Because it's tactical stuff. Uh, you've got to get clear on what you do best, those are your skills. You got to get clear on what you love to do, the work that you look forward to. These are tasks, or maybe it's a role that you play. Mm-hmm. And you got to get clear on what motivates you. Now, if you figure out those three things, two things happen. Number one, you become really self-aware and confidence surges. And then you can figure out all the different things that are available to you where you can use what you do best to do what you love to produce results that matter deeply to you. How does that sentence sound to you when you hear it? (laughs) Sounds great. Yeah, that's the dream job, by the way. It's not something that's like, and you you make a billion dollars. The dream job is where you literally look forward to going in because you're using what you do best to do what you love, to produce results that you care about deeply. That's a good day. And by the way, 75% of your day doing that is the dream. It feels like a dream. Everybody else is miserable. You got the juice. All right? So that's where we want to get you. I'm going to give you the assessment. It's going to unpack all of that for you. It's going to give you a purpose statement with those top three results in the areas of talent, what you love to do, and passion, excuse me, what you're good at, and and, and talent, and passion, what you love to do. So here's the deal. I've heard a lot of people call my show and say what you just said. Uh Uh-huh. And I never believe them. And the reason is because I know you've wondered about some things. May have been 15 years ago. May have been 15 minutes before you called today. I also know that you're hurting deeply. And when you have heartbreak, it is really hard to be clear about anything, including what you want to eat tonight. Am I right? Um, Yeah, very much so. And brother, that's okay. You're in a fog right now. You're hurting. Um, You're in a process of healing, I hope. But sometimes Mm -hmm. you feel like you're just reeling. And let's be honest, you don't want to be anywhere during the day right now. Right. You want to be at home with a gallon of ice cream and and your sweatpants. (laughs) Right? Yeah, you nailed it. I know. I've had my heart broken before. I get it. So does everybody else. So no shame in your game. Now, Will... This is where you got to suspend your 
pain for a moment. Okay. There are things you've wondered about. There, there just are. There are ideas that have popped in your head, but because you're in a state of confusion because of the pain, you've probably dismissed them. Am I true or right? A true or false? Uh, I think you're right. You're right about that. Then why don't you just give me a couple? Let me determine and walk you through the process of whether or not you're delusional. Hit me with a couple <laughs> of things that if that if I could wave my Ken Coleman show pencil in the air and say poof, and let you do it for a day. Just to try it out. What would you do? Um, well, since finding Ramsey, I've been interested in financial co- coaching or um, just helping people with their finances. Okay. Um, that, that's good. That makes sense. Tell me why. What's the why behind that? Why does that interest you? Um, it makes sense to me. Sometimes I just see people in situations where and I'm saying to myself, you should not be in this situation. You know, you should you know, be thriving. But yeah, they're just not in the best situation, and they just need education on it. I don't think there's enough education out there about finances. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, give me the other idea that's popped in your head, or more. Um, that's that's the main one I have floating around right now. Um, I know one thing I excel at is looking at data and analyzing data. There we go. That was my next question. After you gave me the ideas, is if you look at your professional experience to this point. What's the type of work that you really enjoy? And you love data. You love you love analyzing data. And my guess is, uh, I'm going to take a guess here based on your first answer to me about being a financial advisor. You don't like just analyzing. You like coming up with a suggestion or two and advising. I'm hearing analyzing and advising. Is this true? Yes. Uh, I think I'm pretty good at looking at there's a problem looking at the data and finding out where the problem comes from and then causing the problem. Right. And then, then what do you do after you figure that out? What do you enjoy figure doing? Figure out next? a way to figure out a solution to the problem. Boom. And then sharing it. Yes. That's the advising part. So you have to ask yourself, why is that? Well, the answer is you're good at both of those things, the analyzing and the advising, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. You like connecting with people too, don't you? Yeah. Big connector. I mean, you like being around people. You like the people work, the type of work. If I'm analyzing and advising people, I'm happier than just analyzing and advising in a room by myself and typing up a report. Is that true? Um, Yes, I think so. Okay. So this is just the beginning. You're going to take the assessment. It's going to give you a very detailed purpose statement that's going to essentially be a 30,000 foot view of a job description for you. But getting to the point of these three questions is kind of the next exercise. And I'm going to give it to you ahead of time after you take the assessment. Who are the people you most want to help? What's the problem or desire that they have? And what's the solution to that problem or desire that you get most excited about? You don't have to answer that live right now because we started to answer that. But that's where you get real tuning fork type results you really examine your heart and you go oh yeah right who are the people that keep popping up in your mind when you think who would i help um you see what i'm saying really yeah it could be anyone it could be families it could be um single people young people just starting out people trying to catch up in retirement see um, any of that see you see where we're going you go okay are you more attracted to the problem or to the desire um, see the difference. 
There you yeah. go. See, and that's okay. It's okay to say I'm 50-50. I, I want to help people who have some financial problems dig out. Or I want to help people meet their financial desires. Mm-hmm. So now we start to go, okay, I'm starting to see some things here. So then what are the solutions that most fire you up? There's financial coaching, which is an entrepreneurial, solopreneur type deal. Then there's like, you know, our smart investor pros at Ramsey Solutions where they are advising people on their retirement and investing, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Now, you may get away from finances. You may start this process and go, well, I'm intrigued by finances, but what I'm really interested in solving is this problem and helping these people through this solution. Because you're not limited, by the way, to just finances. But if if that's the biggest area of need that you get pulled to, there's your answer. But I do think you stay in the retail job until we figure this out. Hang on the line. I'm going to get you my Get Clear Career Assessment. It's normally 30 bucks. It's free to you. And the book from Paycheck to Purpose. Press on. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.